next uh, Sunday, I think the British summertime begins and noticing that it's increasingly lighter now, days longer. The spring equinox, the days and nights are about equal. The changing of the seasons uh, definitely more spring-like than winter. Then the uh, this is uh, you know the ending of the winter's retreat, end of March. So <coughs> what begins ends, and as, as we near the ending of the retreat, notice what the mind does. The goes toward the planning the future. Uh, it's like being aware and noticing how uh, how the, your mind, your body, what what they really are in the present, to uh, and how the conditioned world affects us with the change of the seasons, the day, the night, uh, beginning of a retreat, end of a retreat, formal retreat, informal retreat, all these have effect on on us how we how we see or how we perceive so formal retreat we we kind of have a perception a definition of what formal retreat is uh, informal and retreat itself in meditation all these words are have an effect on how we perceive in the present. So being aware of that, that awareness, you know, is you can be aware of and say, this is this is going to be a really tough formal retreat. And what is you know, you add the word tough and formal to retreat and and then Suddenly, oh good, Ajahn Sumedho is going to get tough on us and really push us. And others are going, oh God, I won't be able to stand it, you know, I'm, I can't do it. But whatever your, you know, reaction is, the important thing is to recognize it's the power of words, how they affect us. The tone of voice. You know, this is is what being sensitive is about. <coughs> is that someone's tone of voice affects us? The way the body language, the 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 face, the expression on the face, the everything is is in this realm of change, sensitivity, feeling. No, it's it's just you know. Even though this is quite obvious, it's nothing new. Sometimes we don't we don't really reflect on this on the reality of the situation we're in. 
we li we can live in so so it's a kind of a, a program of our own, a kind of fixed view or just unquestioning uh, addicted addictions to habits and reactions that we never transcend them or get beyond them. We merely operate from that. <coughs> So what is it that, that can be aware of these tough formal retreats or just informal retreat? You just practice according to the way you want to, you know, and then you're just noticing how that affects what, what your reaction is to just when if, if I say either one of those things. So your awareness is the whole point of it, not to, to prove that you can take a tough retreat. You can go through the, the boot camp of meditation and survive, or, <coughs> or to really believe that you always have to have practice on your own terms and, and be trusted and free to just develop accordingly in these kind of ideals. But we, you know, we, we limit ourselves and bind ourselves to... Uh, whatever we're attached to. So praise and blame, happiness, suffering, eight worldly dhammas, success and failure, It's the world is like this, you know. It, it has this power, this this changing power, changes from winter to spring and spring to summer, and day to night, night to day, and the conditioning of the mind. How you know the way we're programmed. You know, it's like we're like computers. We're kind of programmed with uh, views, opinions, prejudices, biases, fixations, obsessions, what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, and we get programmed, we get conditioned, the mind gets easily conditioned. But transcending all that conditioning, this is, that is the awareness. Because any condition, any opinion, view, your own physical body, sensory experience of any sort, pleasurable, painful, neutral, uh, any emotional uh, experience you're having, all these are conditioning with the, the awareness of them. We can bring attention and awareness to the feeling or the mood of the present or the physical body in the present or the uh, f 
feeling of right and wrong, or I can do it or I can't do it, or this is good or this is bad. So sati then is 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 a the word for this transcending of the condition. We through sati then we we're actually no longer limited and bound to the conditioned realm, to the things that are happening right now, to the 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 body, <coughs> the emotions, the memories the conditioning that is happening at this moment. So this is uh, liberation from suffering. Appamado amatapadang. Heedfulness, appamado, paying attention, mindfulness, heedfulness, being present. And it's not a creative state, isn't it? It's not you, you can you have to practice samadhi by concentrating on something, but mindfulness is natural state. It's not a you know, it's not, not something that that you don't have or that you've got to develop. It's recognizing using mindfulness. Because with with awareness with mindfulness, then we can our relationship to the condition ex- realities of this present moment are seen in perspective they're no longer abstract ideas about practice or Buddhism or anything like that so by through awareness, then we can, we have that perspective on the, on the whole of this moment. Because this moment here and now includes so many different things, doesn't it? So I listen to the sound of the birds, looking at the spotlight shining on the Buddha Rupa, there's a it's that broad spectrum of people sitting out there. The feeling of my own body. Microphone, the clock. <laughs> All of it in this one moment, you know, the whole thing. Uh, all, all of the, these factors, these conditions are happening simultaneously. They're all present here and now. And the the way is through awareness. Awareness receives it all. With with concentration, then I choose one and concentrate on that. To the exclusion of everything else. <coughs> so when we're caught in the conditioned realm, that's how our lives are. They're birth being born growing up, getting old and dying. It's a linear process, isn't it? We go from one thing to the next. We we forget the whole, the, the wholeness. 
we don't notice that but because our attention is always on go, going from this thing to that thing from this thought to the next thought from planning our future now at the end of the retreat what am, what is my next move and on and on like this so that one's life goes in this in this linear sequence it seems you know the the, the story of your life and you start when I was born and then I grew up and then I did this and then I did that and that's memory according to a chronology first I remember doing this first and then this second but outside of time unconditioned Uncreated, unborn, unoriginated, deathlessness, nibbana, are these just abstract words? Or what is the reality? What is reality? <coughs> so in, in with awareness then the that's the only possible way within the within this uh, human form that we can contact or free ourselves from the momentum of habits of conditioning and that is the the path of liberation the eightfold path So when I'm just aware, I'm not focused on anything in particular, just this openness, receptivity. I can open my eyes and, and see, you know, that you're all included in this moment. Everything is included. It's not a, a division to shut out that something or other, but whatever is happening now, whatever, how good, bad, or pleasant or painful, whatever, it all belongs in the present, this present moment, because this is the way it is. And so reflecting in this way, you know, I give up my personal agenda, which is to want things a certain way, seeking after the praise, the success, the beauty, the happiness, the best, the peace, uh, always using my life for an endless kind of longing and searching for something that, that I create in my mind, some ideal. <coughs> when, um, and then feeling disappointed or blaming feeling I'm life's victim or I don't have enough varami or life is unfair or whatever. But in the 
awareness, then the Appamado is the way to the Amatapadang, deathless. So the Buddha is, you know, really pointing to deathlessness, immortality, using that word, immortality. But then that word has certain connotations in, in the English language, doesn't it? It doesn't mean literally deathless, but it, you think of uh, immortal gods, you know, Aphrodite and Zeus and whatnot. But <coughs> you think of it in, in terms of something, somebody that that will never die. Somebody that will never die. Well, bodies, all bodies die. If they're body, then they're then they're, you know, they were born. So even Aphrodite and Zeus uh, were born. <coughs> they have bodies. So it's uh, not a matter of trying to become an immortal person, is it? But to recognize, re realize, uh, see for yourself, know this for yourself, the unconditioned, the reality, and when things cease, the third noble truth, the cessation of condition, of a condition. We chant in the evening for Reflecting on death, Anicca Vada Sankara, Bhattavaya Tamino, Bhattavani Ruchanti, De Sangu Basamo Sukho. All conditions are impermanent, Anicca Vada Sankara, Sankaras, Anicca. They arise and they pass away, and in their passing is peace, Basamo Sukho. It's not when they when the conditions cease, then it's, it's just a, a void, uh, you know, an annihilation, obliteration. So we get to what peace really is. And next month, I'm supposed to give a talk on peace. We're invited to Oslo, and they want me to give a talk to some group on Buddhism and peace and world peace. And uh, it's an interesting one because, you know, everybody wants peace. But do we really want peace? Ask yourself, do you really want peace? <coughs> or an easy life? <laughs> a sense of security, you know, a sense of everything's all right, everything's going to be okay. Uh do people really want know what peace is? You know, is that you know, as an ideal? We all you know, it would be nice if everybody if we could all live at peace is an ideal. But can you live at peace with yourself? It's a big challenge, isn't it? No, he's talking about living with you know all creatures on Earth living peacefully with each other is is uh, is an ideal. We can create the, this this nice 
kind of sentiment. <clears throat> but the reality of peace so we think we'll not have any more wars and uh, but, but the wars are a result of ignorance. You know, they, they just don't arise all suddenly out of nothing. They come from the, the war that, that is happening within us. You know, so we're all responsible in a way to not going around blaming warmongers because the war is, is its origin begins in your own mind your own heart, isn't it? It's from there, the conflicts, the the struggles that you create in your in your own conscious experience, the ignorance, the avicca that that propels you to into these wars and conflicts with yourself before they manifest outwardly. Then they then they manifest outwardly. You know, into the community and then into the society and to the world. <coughs> so getting to the uh, source of all this, and the only possible way then is through awareness. Just trying to, uh, you know, make everything peaceful is, uh, you know, a hopeless task. What do we? What is peace anyway? And so, when I think, when I recognize peace, it is through this awareness. This awareness is peaceful. It's not. It's there's no war. There's no conflict. It's whole, complete, inclusive. So it includes everything, there's nothing, you know, there's, there's not two anymore, there's one. <coughs> as soon as there's two, there's going to be, as soon as I give my attention to one side or the other, then there's in the inevitable conflict, the war, the lack of peace. <coughs> but to really be peaceful, is not easy for us, because our you know, with the conditioning, the ignorance, that, and the conditioning that comes out of that ignorance is very powerful, very strong, very real for us. So we, we need to really know this. Know it in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of, of ideals or what should or shouldn't be or self-views. When, when you always interpret your experience through the self, through the ego, then you know it's uh, it's always distorted in some. It's more than what it is. You know, whatever you claim, whatever you think you are, whatever you know, criticisms you have, or feelings of inferiority, or self disparagement, or even if you're an egomaniac, think you're 
the greatest gift on earth. All these are more than you know, their additions. <coughs> they're sankaras, they're something you create out of ignorance onto this present moment. So in this present moment, with no creation, not creating anything, just being present, then I can create something onto this presence, you know. But if I'm not aware, then I tend to just operate, you know, from from habit, you know, of taking for granted, of of uh, projecting, of you know, of endlessly proliferating around the the way it is now, the way I feel now, the way it looks to me now, the way it's. It's 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 impinging on me now. This situation, this person, this uh, attack, this challenge. So, in recognizing awareness, this is the the second, third noble truth. This process of really uh, examining desire. And there's other gama dana, pawa dana, vipa dana, desire. Get to know desire. Become an expert. Not someone who doesn't have any desires. Don't try to become someone who doesn't have any desires. That's hopeless. But really become an expert. You know, someone who really knows desire, all its subtleties and coarseness and refinements and grossness, whatever. Because desire then is is something that comes and goes. It's not ultimate reality. And you you can be aware of desire. Or desire is an object. It's an aramana. Gama dana, you know, sense desire. Bhava dana, desire for becoming. Vipudana, desire for annihilation. What is, is dana then? It's energy, isn't it? It's movement. From this position of awareness, we're aware of this wanting something, or not wanting something. Longing, be aware of longing for something, expecting, anticipating, dreading. All these kind of words convey mental states that we can observe from the puto, from the awareness position, not from personal definition or identity or value judgment. You know, we put a value judgment on, then it becomes very personal. I have bad desires, and things like that. Then, it, then it becomes, uh, you know, I'm I'm stuck into that old trap of me and mine. I'm someone with bad desires, or desires are bad. I've got to to get rid of desire. Buddha said to get rid of. Conquer 
annihilate desire. Is that what the Buddha really said? Or understanding. When you contemplate the Four Noble Truths, you see there's nothing about annihilation or condemnation. It's all it's getting to the root of understanding, really opening and, and reflecting, knowing. So the old Manichaean dualism, of, you know, good against evil, we've got to fight the devil, beat the devil. <clears throat> the forces of good fighting against the forces of evil. This, this is war. This is not peace. And as long as we believe in that and identify, take sides, then we, we're limited to that. An endless struggle with the forces of evil. I mean, most of us, you know, want to be good. Would identify with the side of goodness. But that identity, even with goodness, creates the division, you know, makes the division real for us. So it, we're always fighting against the bad, the forces of evil. And that, of course, is, you know, what we, we create in the mind. It's, that's a war. That's an internal war that we create. Now, we don't have to create that war. You know, there's a, there's a way not to make war, and that is through awareness. Where then the, the forces of good and bad can be observed. We, we know them. We understand. We're experts on the way things are, knowing the way it is. And so the, we're no longer limited to, to just trying to be good by trying to control all the, and get rid and annihilate the bad. So really, you know, observe in yourself when, when you get caught in judgments, making value judgments about yourself or others, or <coughs> liking or disliking, approving or disapproving, preferring one thing over another, blaming yourself, blaming somebody else. All this is done through thinking, through the linear dualistic function of thought you know so it's this is as, as if this is our reality just the the thoughts that we project into consciousness all the time then we are we're living in we're not really with life we're we create a kind of sentimental world around us or an abstract kind of illusion And then we get caught in the in the illusions that others project onto us. Everybody's doing this. There are very few enlightened beings. So it is, uh, you know, the, the society is basically deluded. So don't expect it to not be. But then they then they. Uh, opportunity we have here is to 
not be deluded. And that, that's up to you. Nobody can make you enlightened. So when I reflect on peace, then it's uh, this stillness, sound of silence, not being anybody, anatta, no self, is peaceful. Being Ajahn Sumedho is not peaceful. <coughs> being a personality, being a teacher, being head monk, being somebody, being senior monk, being a man, being a woman, being whatever. These are not peaceful. This is not peace. There's always some conflict when one's identified in this way with uh, that limitation. If I'm, if, you know, if there's me, Ajahn Sumedha, then there's you. If I'm an Arjan, if I'm a teacher, then you, you always have to look for students, disciples. And that my relationship to the world is I'm the teacher, you're the disciple. So I'm always limited to that perspective. If I'm, you know, my true nature is masculinity, then I'm limited to that. And the feminine is, is, is that which is not, you know, separate, divided. <coughs> or Buddhist, Theravada and Buddhist, all these uh, things that limit us and bind us to a convention or condition of some sort. None of them are peaceful. You know, you never find peace in Theravada Buddhism or any other religion, religious convention, or in democratic countries, or in United Nations, <laughs> peace conferences usually not peaceful at all. <laughs> I was in the peace movement in the early 60s in Berkeley. It wasn't peaceful. <laughs> Uh, not at all. So the cry of peace, peace, peace is is all very nice. When you know we don't want war, we have an idea of what would be nice to have a peaceful society, peaceful monastery, peaceful situation. But do we really know what peace is, or are we longing for something that we create, an ideal of peace that, we, that we've created ourselves? Meaning a situation where I feel okay, where I don't feel threatened or by anything, and where this kind of illusion of harmony, we must be harmonious and get along and Support each other, help each other toward the, toward the Dhamma, you know. Be good friends to each other and help each other. Loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy, equanimity. 
And we should be like this, you know, all these wonderful things that should be. And, you know, then, then everything would be all right, wouldn't it? If everybody would practice the Brahma-viharas and be totally selfless and do everything properly, then, then we'd have the perfect community. And then I'd feel very peaceful, you know, because, or would I? You know, was there always something threatening? Those, those, those burglars that come and steal things, they really stir up something, don't they? Coming in to take, steal from a monastery. That's threatening, isn't it? It makes you think, out there, you don't know what's going on out there, outside gates of Amravati. All the kind of possibilities for confusion and pain and being attacked, being threatened. So they, they, this is, a, you know, that, that's a dualistic mind. Just, now, what is it that can observe this dualism? And I listen to it. Not that I don't have, you know, person, a personality and, and thoughts and habits and that I'm just completely kind of, you know, that those just completely disappear into, into oblivion. But it's like knowing them, knowing the personality. It, it is knowing it for what in terms of dhamma, the way my emotional life operates, and uh, the ups and downs of of emotional experience that I that I have that is part of being human being a human being, isn't it? <clears throat> so then the, you know, is it on the personal level, you know, before I had any insight into Dhamma, then my life was mainly trying to control things for my own, you know, to make me feel safe or good about myself or trying to get approval and appreciation, trying to be a success, trying to to function within the society in a way that that this you know, you felt you were you were successful in it. You were accepted. You were all right. You know, when you still feel that you're not all right, you kind of don't fit into the society. The society seems to reject you and you you don't quite you can't quite go along with everything the society wants and expects and demands of you and so forth, then we, we, we can rebel against it, become anarchists, revolutionaries, critics. So the, the, you know, the status quo going along with it or fighting against it, these are, this is the dualistic realm. for or against. And what is it then that that transcends this dualism but doesn't annihilate it? It's still one can 
one learns from from the dualism by knowing it in terms of Dhamma, all conditions are impermanent. So then in the monastic life here, you know, the, the praise, the blame, the success, the failures, then these are part of the human karma. And these are known for what they are. You know, all that arises ceases. So that includes both praise and blame. You know, it's not, you know, the, the worldly dhammas, happiness, suffering, success, failure. Good health, bad health. And, this, and this, these are seen in terms, we become the knower, the knowing of these. All that is subject to rising, subject to ceasing. So it's no longer, you know, endlessly trying to to control and manipulate life out of this ignorance, out of fear and desire, but understanding, knowing fear arises and ceases, desire arises and ceases. Good arises and ceases. Evil arises and ceases. And so this is the, the microcosm of, uh, of your own conscious moment. Like each one of us is, you know, has this opportunity where a conscious entity in the universe. You know, so that's what birth is when you're born. You're born with a, with a body and conscious and consciousness. They're a conscious entity. When they uh, cut the umbilical cord then you're operating as a, as a, as a conscious entity. No longer, you know, from the the mother, but as a, a kind of independent entity. So then, the physical form, you know, it it grows up, gets old, and dies. Consciousness is means that we experience consciousness through this particular form. No consciousness doesn't have a form, but but the 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 physical body is a form, isn't it? Then we then we create forms through conditioning, you know, cultural conditioning, identities. All this is the vedana uh, sanya sankara of uh, of the five of the khandas. This comes after after birth. So with happy, with sukha vedana, we form perceptions of wanting more happiness and dukkha vedana, wanting to get rid of it, seeking happiness, avoiding pain, wanting success, wanting 
appreciation, love, security, not wanting to be rejected, despised. And so they, you know, we easily become conditioned uh, creatures operating from, from programming, from conditioning. But if we awaken to that conditioning, because that conditioning is, it can be noticed. That it's not a, a based on an ideal of what should or shouldn't be. We're not judging ourselves. Like we pass judgment. Like this is a good condition and that's a bad one. Then we, then if we don't see what we're doing, then we are just stuck on that level of trying to to make ourselves into what's good and trying to uh, get rid of what's bad. We're caught in the dualism again. But if we awaken the sati sampachanya, mindfulness, then this dualism is in a perspective of rising and ceasing. And so that, that is, uh, you know, within the, the human karma, the Buddha teaching is, is for human beings. You know, it's not a, it's not asking us to do something we can't do. <coughs> so in, in this uh, occasion, you know, this really, you know, challenging situation to really determine to use one's life in this form, this physical form, for this awareness. You know, something to really make a strong determination to use your life for awakeness, for understanding. Not for you know, personal gain or things like this. But personal gain happens, or what, or loss. These are part of the the conditioned realm, the dualism that we learn from. But that's not our concern: is being successful, or on on that level, being personally successful, or a great meditator, or a great monk, or none. But in in uh, you know having that determination to to uh, develop this awareness, no matter what happens, no matter what the conditions might be, whether it's war, peace, success, failure, the coming together, the loss. You know, when somebody disrobes, it makes my determination even stronger. It doesn't it doesn't make me waver. It just it is sad to see people kind of not quite get it, I guess. <coughs> when uh, you know, it seems to me, it seems so uh, you know, right in your face. You know, so obvious. <coughs> but it does take, you know, the, there's a lot of <coughs> mental states that that uh, I, you know, find quite unbearable. 
loneliness, you have to work through loneliness and and despair, things like kind of dreary mental states. And and those are, you know, that when those arise, it's uh, it's really hard, you know, it's really the challenge is there to really use that. When it, everything is, the uh, monastic life is really boring and it's all, seems to be a waste of time and all your best friends have disrobed. It's so easy to fall back into some kind of mm, doubt and and uh, and disappointment and disillusionment and then criticism, and that's the very time when it's so urgent, so important to not to to not fall into that trap, to really look at being you know, this sense of despair, disappointment, loss disillusionment like this. What is it that can be aware of despair? Now I can be, you know, it's, it's certainly it's not something beyond anyone's ability, but it does take determination to use, use it, not to just depend on, on external things supporting your holy life. You know, your friends and your your tradition and all that just uphu- you know kind of carrying you along in a nice way so you feel good all the time and sometimes we have to lose everything but gain and loss are always you know these are this is a dualism this is the war and peace and this is the the way the world is what comes together separates what you get you lose. So I mean, it's it's uh, this reflect. This isn't a cynical uh, attachment, but it's a reflection on the on just the way it is. So then the the uh, valleys of despair. The valley of morbidio inferiore. And Herman Hesse's book, Journey to the East, that was very popular to read in the United States back in the 50s. And uh, it deals with this, the kind of journey, every, the inspired journey where everybody's kind of enthusiastic, you know. We're going on this journey, there's all these great people on the on the journey going with us. There's Mozart and there's there's, you know, Goethe, and there's all these fantastic, uh, marvelous sages and musicians and artists and all the best, the cream of the crop, the brilliant, the gifted. And I'm going with them, H.H., he calls himself. I get to go with, along with all these wonderful people on this journey to the east. And then... And then uh, full of this inspiration and this is what I want to do. I'm really, you know, committed and this is wonderful, great stuff. And then, then uh, you go on for a while and they experience all these highs and 
and inspiring moments and then suddenly it changes. People drop away, people disappear. Things don't look so good anymore. And the faithful servant that's been, you know, you've always admired the servant, Leo, you know, that you held up is really a great man. He knows just exactly what I need whenever I need it. And he's always there supporting us and helping us in every way. Then H.H. starts suspecting Leo. Now, I don't, I've heard something about Leo. And uh, he's not as good as he seems. I'm disappointed in him. Not such a faithful servant. And finally, H.H. thinks the journey's over. It's all finished. Kaput. That's it. (laughs) And so, years later, he's in a public park. And he he keeps thinking, I'd like to be the historian of that journey. You know, write the history of that journey to the East. Uh, and uh, I wonder where I could find out where the records are kept. And then he suddenly sees Leo walking in this park, and he goes over and he says, you remember me? I was on the journey to the east, you know, H.H., my name. Leo looks at him and says, oh. Couldn't, at first couldn't quite remember him, then said, oh, yeah, I remember. And then H.H. Uh, then says, I want to, you know, write the history of the journey to the east, you know, because I was on that journey and, and when it ended, you know, I wanted to, I'd like to know where the records are kept where I can, you know, write the, the, author, the authority, the, 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 the book that, uh, you know, can give the accurate history of this great journey that ended. And then he says, but it hasn't ended. <laughs> And it's the ego, isn't it? You know, think because because it falls apart for me that it's ended. You know that that the disillusionment. The they go through this on this journey. They just go through this valley of morbidio inferiore. So just those words, you know, it's, it's morbid and inferior. <laughs> <laughs> it's valley, isn't it? So, I mean, this is, these are all the symbols for for despair and disillusionment. <coughs> but these, this, this is the most important part in the journey to the east, isn't it? Is the is you know these are where you're the you have to rally yourself. You have to bring up something in yourself you're not used to. You have to determine. You have to really determine and look and, and feel this despair. So it's, uh, you know, it takes, it brings up incredible strength if you allow it to. It doesn't take much when you're traveling along with Mozart and Goethe and everything is just so wonderful, you know, I just love it. Springtime, spring is in the air, the birds singing. Everything's just wonderful. That doesn't, if one just kind of sinks into that and let it carry you. But when it gets into the valley of morbidio inferiority, inferiority then there's nothing there, there's nothing left. 
except what's left when you've lost everything. And then that's where, you know, if you, if you really look and investigate, then you recognize this awareness, which is not saying, poor me, I've lost everything, the journey was a fake, everybody left, but it's, it's it, you find your, the journey is just this, this, this awareness. It's not on a high of success and, and uh, lovely experiences, but in the, in the uh, reality of now, whatever is happening now, this we, we learn from. So in terms of, it's like dying, you know, this sense of death. Uh, the valley of morbidio inferiore, like, like you're in a valley of death, thinking corpses and whatnot, and everything rotten and disgusting. <laughs> and you know, what a... I remember the good old days in the journey, you know, the, the wonderful experiences we had with all the greats, all the great beings. So this, uh, this, this strength of awareness is really challenged at this moment. I remember, you know, in, in my own experience, where this really being challenged, where everything, you know, seems to be disaster and loss, disappointment, failure. But this is, this was my strength. This I trusted in the other, you know. I knew that if I, you know, if I, I knew if I gave in to that, you know, moved from the, from disillusionment and from desire, then uh, I'd be missing the best opportunity of my life. <coughs> so it's uh, to to die before you die, or this sense of the ego dying. You know, the ego, well, uh, wants to live wants to have happiness and fulfillment in the world and enjoyment and that. So they and then when, when it seems like all these things are no longer possible then you let you let that desire die for becoming, for attaining and achieving. So desire dies Desire is born and it dies, and desire is like that, dunha. So become an expert, and really, you know, this is, I think in the second noble truth, it's so brilliantly conveyed in these three categories. You know, really investigated, you know, really not just repeated the 
Gamadana, Pawadana, Vipavadana. But really, what is Pawadana in terms of experience? You know, what, what is wanting to become something, longing for something, wanting to attain, achieve. And what is Vipavadana? But the very desire to get rid of something, not wanting to not wanting in life to be like this, not wanting me to feel like this, not wanting these thoughts, these memories, these experiences. You know, so, you, you know, but it's not just analyzing like that, but really, what's the feeling of this longing, wanting to, the sense of looking for something, expecting, hoping, you know, wanting to become, achieve, waiting for the next step waiting for something, waiting for Godo, waiting, and, and kind of hoping and expecting, and then uh, doing things in order to become achieving and attaining. And they can see this, you know, the Bhavadana. It's not a criticism of Bhavadana, it's to know it. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't have Bhavadana, but if we're just limited to that, you're in a trap. You know, if that's the only identity you have is with your longings and desires for becoming, then you, you, you're not going to ever be free. And even when you get what you long for, you still keep longing for something else. Because it's the way dunha operates. It's not, dunha is not contentment. <coughs> so, Vipavadanha is annihilation, isn't it? Let's just get rid of everything, destroy the evil forces. So, and uh, just this aversion, wanting to get rid of something, you know, what does it feel like, this, this desire of not wanting, not liking, wanting to get rid of, And so you, you know, you, by by asking myself these questions, I can be aware of this, of this as a as a mental object, this desire to get rid of something. Don't like this, don't. and this this desire for annihilation, vipavadana, desire for becoming, gamadana, desire for sens sensual pleasure. So these the, the three kinds of desires, you know, they're to be understood. They're they're teachers to us, not not coming from an annihilationist view of to get rid of desire. This is a desire realm. Desire is, is what we learn from, what we study, what we can know. Desire is not self. Dunha is anatta. So this uh, way of of just bringing the attention, you know, this is it, you know. Really notice that awareness is like this, and when I do this, and I. 
you know, at first it's, you know, the, the thinking mind will cause you to doubt it. Maybe I'm just fooling myself or, you know, one can endlessly, you know, create doubts about your own ability, your own insight, or your own practice. That's why you can't believe your thinking mind. It'll, you'll never be as good as you think or, or you'll never be able to fit the exact patterns and examples of that you've heard of what mindfulness is or what somebody else tells you. This is where you've got to trust your, the, the reality yourself. You know, th- you know, know it yourself, not just say, well, Ajahn Sumedho said it's like, <laughs> so maybe I don't have it, you know. But um, this uh, awareness then is, uh, you know, to recognize and then develop it. And that's what third and fourth noble truth is. Don't see those as remote kind of um, <coughs> advanced teachings. But see them all as immediate here and now. But to notice, like, this is it. Just this. And that's why why I use the sound of silence, because that, that very much when it's here and now always is 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 that's noticeable the most obvious noticeable uh, thing in the present. And then the and then the thinking, you know, the 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 thinking process, doubt and then the doubts fall away because just by recognizing this is it and sustaining that attention and then then really seeing that that this stillness that one experiences through the sound of silence is is embracing everything the the body will arise in consciousness or the or um, the mental or the mood or the emotional state you're in. And non-attachment is like this. Non-self, anatta. You know, it's all these words. Suddenly they're, they're pointing to the reality of, of here and now. It's not a, an attained state, like you know, I did it and then attained this level. It's it's going back to to what is normal, natural. Out of the, these created false, uh, convoluted identities and convolutions, permutations of thought and and ignorance and identity. So that's the kind of wonderful thing about being human human being is that we can actually you know this is the opportunity to learn something and what for I don't know how to figure that out (laughs) but that's the option that's open at this time (laughs) Uh, you know on the macrocosmic level (laughs) still boggles my mind but they 
but they um, because you can't think about that, isn't it? It's not it, the the human thought capacity. You just can't incorporate, uh, you know, get beyond a certain level. You know, so the limitation of thought and concept. So it is uh, not knowing everything about everything, but knowing uh, this handful of leaves. All that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. From the experience, not from macrocosmic speculation, but from the recognition, the reality of it in your own conscious experience, you know, of what arises and ceases in your consciousness. That's all you need to know, learn from that. that that's what we can actually do this is this is within our human inheritance disciples of the buddha <coughs>